Welcome to Bloodbath, a true crime podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Jamie. Wait, Ash, did you just say true crime? The truest of crime. So if I'm easily creeped out or offended by serial killers who happen to pick younger victims and I'm triggered by rape, then this probably isn't the podcast for me. It is a brief statement of rape, but we are going to have rape in this case. So if that's not going to sit well with you right now, we'll catch you another week. Consider that your blanket trigger warning. You are about to listen to a true crime podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get podcasts. It's time for the show. And we're back. hello all right Um, before you get into it i just want to say r.i.p the queen of england that happened this week that did happen this week i was actually sitting here at my desk doing notes on you know true crime where usually people die with this and brayden is just in bed scrolling on the phone and he goes she died (laughs) and i was like I was like, are you trying to make like a joke with me doing notes? And he's like, no, the queen. She died. <laughs> the queen is gone. Oh, the queen is gone. Yeah, so R.I.P. to yeah. that. <laughs> she died. I was just Okay. In. Super helpful. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so on that morbid news, mm-hmm. I don't know. She lived a long life. Like, she did. I feel like once you get into like the 80s and 90s, it's kind of like, you know, Okay. Like, it's still sad, obviously, but they're not, like, 38. Yeah. You're like, you <laughs> like did some good. some people's moms. You did good. <laughs> like, yeah, some people's parents are here. <laughs> or 55, you know. Right? That's young, too. That's so young. Okay. So. Cheese. I'm going to tell you about, oh, my God. Oh, I was listening to another podcast, and they said that, and I was like, cheese. <laughs> Actually, I think it was uh, the show Bullshit. Have you watched Bullshit on no. Netflix yet? No. Oh my God, glorious! It is absolutely glorious. You don't have to know the right answers to move along to the next one. You just have to convince three people in front of you that you know the correct answer, and as long as one of them believes you're telling the truth, you move on to the next step. That's awesome, absolutely amazing. And the people across—sorry, tangent, real quick—the people across have to guess correctly, and whoever has the highest number on guessing, like percentage of guessing correctly gets to be the next person so it's not like you can you know what i mean like they want to be in that seat too it's 10 questions to a million dollars the fuck that would be fun i'm a bad liar though (laughs) (laughs) i could do it (laughs) maybe i don't know okay so jeez i shut up i'm going to tell you about the case that would be the first serial killer to be actively investigated by the fbi that refined a method of psychologically profiling criminal offenders Yes. And just for like fun, I put the actual definition for criminal profiling. It is an investigative strategy used by law enforcement agencies to identify likely suspects and has been used by investigators to link cases that may have been committed by the same perpetrator. And the reason why I wanted to put in that little description of it is because this is one of the biggest reasons that I love going into like the background of the bad person. I like to go in the background. uh, We like to go into the background of everyone within our cases. That's the whole thing about, I feel like, bloodbath. And it's not only because it's 
interesting. But like the red flags keep us safe to see. And then they also study these horrific people so that they could find other ones. Like the way that they would literally use Edmund Kemper to learn about how to find other killers. Yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing science. And Yeah, exactly. If there is a pattern, there is a type, there is like they have they have those those like standards. They know exactly. how to and spot in, that kind of person. Mhm. And in no way are we glorifying like the killers or what they've done, but their background fucking matters. It's important to study so that we can stop it from happening or not stop it, but like hopefully stop it, prevent it or see the red flags and be like, no, thanks. I'm not interested. At the very least, the red flags will make it so that it will be prevented. Because if you yeah. can notice the red flags, you can possibly get them help. So the day is June 24th, 1973. And the Jager family, mom, Marietta, dad, Bill, and seven-year-old Susan, her older brothers and sisters are on their last day of their first stop camping on their big family adventure in Missouri headwaters near Three Forks. Bill, Susan's dad, had taken an entire month off of work so they could travel and see some of the world. Oh, I love I that. <laughs> and this is the very first stop that they have done. They went to bed early to make sure that they would be well-rested for the journey ahead for their next stop the next morning. Susan's brother slept in the van while everyone else chose tents. Mom and dad in one and siblings in the other. The night uh, Susan and Marietta, then the last night, they got some, like, mommy daughter cuddles susan actually like left her tent to go get some extra cuddles from mom Mm -hmm. and then went off to her tent with her older sister heidi also in her tent she's just surrounded by a shit ton of her stuffed animals as well and she drifted off to sleep but then around 4 a.m it was a really cold night and heidi woke up to a really chilly breeze coming into the tent and this isn't like a situation of me where i'm like cracking it open because i'm hot you know what i mean mm-hmm. <laughs> like, no no a hole has been cut open in the side of the tent right next to where susan's head was susan's now missing immediately oh. i'm sorry yeah. wait, there's there's a zipper the- <laughs> why, why do you need to cut a hole in the tent because that will make sound so does cutting a hole. Have you ever cut nylon? My God. I'm so- Well, as we'll know, mm-hmm. we'll get into it. Stop yeah. it. You're okay, sorry. Just- <laughs> I don't want to give anything away. <laughs> All right. Immediately, she went to her parents and she's like, hello, homegirl's missing. Their first thought is maybe she wandered off. Maybe she like went to go pee or whatever, you know, but... Like, that's their first thought inside the tent, not when they're looking at it. Once they come out and they see the hole in the side of the tent, immediately they were like, oh, fuck. Also, a short distance from the tent itself, they found a couple of her stuffed animals. And Bill immediately drove to the closest payphone. Look it up if you're too young. (laughs) (laughs) He finds the phone and calls the police and he returns back with the sheriff. This being a small town and there not being, like, a lot of violent crimes, which I find suspicious because of the other crimes we're going to talk about in this, the cops were initially hopeful that maybe she just wandered off into the woods. But, unfortunately, just like the parents, once they saw the hole in the side of the tent, the stuffed animals, they were like, oh, no, this is all hands on deck. 
It's common for kidnapping cases to get the FBI involved as a perpetrator will often travel across multiple state lines. Mm -hmm. So Special Agent Dunbar, who we will be talking about a lot in this case, was the first to respond and put in place a search. The National Guard was called in. Boats, helicopters looked for the missing little girl. Infrared searched the local mine shafts. This would end up being the largest search in Montana history. Holy smokes. And this is actually a quote from Marietta from yesmagazine.org about the day. Then came an intense and stressful day. The deputies were dragging the river next to us. And every time the boat would stop, lifting its empty net, my heart would stop. I was terrified that Susie might be found in that water. That was the day that I got in touch with my rage. That night, getting ready for bed, I said to my husband, even if the kidnapper were to bring Susie back alive and well, I could kill him with my bare hands and, sm and a smile on my face. I have chills. So oh do I. <laughs> Just wait till the end because this is the reason why I'm so excited to do this episode is this episode has changed the way I think and has changed everything that I've ever said in previous episodes okay and okay she does use god and faith to say it but even like taking because i don't as we know i'm agnostic okay mm -hmm. even taking away like the godly part of it we'll get into it i'm kind of tearing up stop <laughs> <laughs> okay so the fbi Jeez. were given a task to find any likely suspects that could be in the area sex offenders were interviewed and those who had an alibi were asked to take a polygraph even, I mean, if you say no to taking a polygraph, it's like, eh, suspicious. But at the same time, like, if you don't have a lawyer, don't take a polygraph because you could get fucked if you didn't do yeah, anything. Yeah, I mean, you're damned if you do and you're <laughs> damned if you don't, so. And just you wait. So there's one person that could not remember what he was doing. His polygraph came back inconclusive. So like the good old 70s, he was sent to a mental hospital and put under truth serum. Oh my Supposedly, god. Supposedly this made him remember what he was doing and they were back to the beginning. 3 days later, a man called the FBI's regional offices in Denver, Colorado and claimed he had kidnapped Susan and wanted $25,000 to get her back. This person never called back or confirmed like a drop off. Okay? Oh my god. I then July 2nd, 1973, a similar call comes in, but this time demanding $50,000. And the money would be dropped at the Denver bus station. And he gave a description of Susan, including her nail deformity that she had on one of her hands, that was not released to the public. Not even the cops knew about it. When they asked their, her parents about it, they were like, that's Susan. Oh she has that. Mm -hmm. So they're sure that was the guy. They obviously went ahead with accepting this offer as they believed he was the guy. And obviously they would use this to catch him. Unfortunately, he didn't show up, though. The Jager family all returned home after a month of no progress in Susan's case. Bill needed to go back to work and their other kids had school. But the FBI, being the smart cookies that they are, asked if they could put a recording device in their home to trace any calls. So it's not like constantly just hearing what they're like talking about. As soon as somebody, it's a phone rings, you push record and then you answer. Mm -hmm. So you had to make sure to do it. So all the kids were taught. Everyone was taught how to do it. For months, months, Marietta stayed near that phone, waiting for a call to happen. Susan had to leave one day. I mean, not Susan, sorry. 
Marietta had to leave one day to pick up her son when a ride that he was supposed to get fell through. And that would be the motherfucking day of course. that he would call. Oh my of God. course. But for some odd reason, he still called a short while later. And Marietta's son answered the phone. And just as he was taught, he pushed record. Good. The caller said... Since the FBI was involved, he would no longer be able to return Susan for any amount of money. But the brother being able to think quickly about keeping him on the phone was the reason that they were able to track the caller to a diner. I think it's Cheyenne, Wyoming? Cheyenne. Cheyenne. Is it Cheyenne? Okay. Mm-hmm. The police quickly arrived, but the caller had vanished, and nobody even recalls seeing a person using the phone, which mm. is, like, the really eerie part. Then again, diners can be kind of... Like, not expensive, uh, busy, so maybe mm-hmm. they just weren't paying attention. Eight months now have gone by since Susan's kidnapping when 19-year-old Sandra Smalligan went missing in the same area. Police were quick to discover that her car was missing, so a search was put in place to find the car first. A policeman just kind of driving around found an abandoned farm with tire tracks leading to it, which was very odd because it's very much abandoned. Mm-hmm. This and it, like it's been abandoned for a while. And while heading in that direction, he found a pair of women's shoes. When inside the barn and under a tarp car without the license plate, tarp car, car tarp, car tarp, car t- <laughs> without the license plate was her car. A. It's so sad. He then put out a search for like a five mile radius of the barn, and. While doing that, it wasn't long before they found a 55-gallon drum that appeared to be burned on the inside, the outside of it, and, like, the ground surrounding it as well. Mm. Human bone fragments were found inside, and dental records confirmed they were Sandra's. So the question was, is this the same person that took Susan? Mm -hmm. Because, like I said before, this isn't a very, like, supposedly not a high-profile area of like really bad shit happening although we will have four (laughs) that's why it's like super suspicious Mm -hmm. february 1974 rolls around and about 1200 skeletal fragments were found in three forks montana on an abandoned ranch called lockhart place forensics and examination i almost had Mm -hmm. my tongue off saying that determined their fragments belonged to two victims with the first girl aged six to eight in the second one, 18 to 20. Detectives from Susan and Sandra's case would meet regularly and discuss the progress of their respective cases and the similarities that they had. Then, a local man, okay, named David Meyerhofer, started coming around when the detectives did as well. David was described by people around as being a strange character and his constant questions for the detectives and his eagerness to want to help with searches plus his exceptional knowledge on the cases they're they're not like brand new detectives these are seasoned fucking people Mm -hmm. and they're like what's up so they asked david to take a polygraph and it came back that he was telling the truth so then, like I said, good old 70s, they're like, okay, so how about some truth serum? <laughs> Again, determined to be telling the truth. But who is David? David 
is one of five kids born to mom Eleanor and dad Clifford. He was put into high school in his small town, just like a regular high school. But due to him being like really introverted and coming off as depressed, so sad, Mm -hmm. he was just like constantly moody. He was often bullied and just super stuck to himself. He graduated from high school in 1967, worked a few jobs, and then in 1968, he was drafted into the Army. He ended up enlisting into the Marines on October 1st, 1968, and would be stationed in San Diego, California. I've been there. Me too, in a way. (laughs) I was there for different reasons. (laughs) (laughs) He finished basic training and then was immediately shipped off to Vietnam War to the Vietnam War in 1969. He served in the 5th Communication Battalion and was awarded the National Defense Service Medal, the Vietnam Service Medal, and the Vietnam Campaign Medal. In August 1971, he returned to the United States where he continued continued his military service as a Marine Corps base camp, Pendleton. Is that not where you were? In Pendleton? Aren't you in Pendleton? No. Who do we know those in Pendleton? A lot of people. What was the Florida one? Pensacola. See, it's a P. (laughs) Cool. So he was honorably discharged in 1973 and then took on the role as a self-employed handyman and carpenter. But eventually his dark urges would take over. If they haven't already. In the spring of 1974. What? I have to say, the Vietnam War has to be one of the harshest wars that anyone had to experience on both sides like the vietnamese and the united states everyone was involved that war brought back so much ptsd yep like the the shit that they did the shit that they had to go through the shit they seen Mm -hmm. nope it's i would say (laughs) i would say after doing the notes for this case and obviously knowing it that that would probably be a good catalyst not a good catalyst for why he did the things he did but like a good not good (laughs) like a reason yeah a reason to why Mm -hmm. thank you a reason to why he did it in a sense but we're gonna see something else okay well before mr vietnam (laughs) in the spring of 1974 detective dunbar met with an fbi profiler profiler to see if they could help solve the case the profiler looked at all the documents about the subject and asked to see all the interview tapes the profiler profiler (laughs) returned and described the suspect as a strong man possibly with military training who had trouble with women and was a loner it also stated that the individual might have schizophrenia The profiler also stated that some criminals with schizophrenia can disassociate from their crime, meaning Mm -hmm. that when they take a lie detector test, they can pass it. It's because they are delusional. That is a side effect of being schizophrenic. You believe in your mind that this is true. So everything else is, you know, that has happened. You've made this entire new story and you believe it. And that's what I'm sticking to. Exactly. Yeah. So he hmm. even Weird. went as far as to say that Susan's kidnapper will call the family on her one year mark. So on the one year day that. Yeah. So with this information, Marietta was like, bet, gave a 
media interview where she stated that she has a strong religious belief and that she felt sorry for the kidnapper and that she would really like to speak with him. Mm-hmm. She said, go on, call. Go on. Go ahead. I got some choice words for you, motherfucker. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> While this is happening, Detective Dunbar cannot help but get David out of his mouth. Mouth? What? What? This guy's got weird (laughs) out of his mind. He aligns with everything the profiler is saying. The day of the kidnapping, Marietta stayed by the phone, would not leave. But then it got kind of late at night, and she was like, okay, I'm just going to go to sleep. I'll hear the phone, whatever, if it happens. 3.30, the phone rings. It was 3.30 a.m. The phone rings. It's the caller. He was only on the phone long enough to tell Marietta that this was the exact time that he took Susan. Oh, my God. And he could not give her back. It was not long enough to trace, but then he called back, and Marietta's motherly instincts kicked in. She allowed him to talk and allowed him to lead the conversation. He talked about how he was too smart to be caught. He told her he was traveling with Susan, but would not allow her to speak with her mom. Then Marietta started to control the conversation by showing compassion to the caller. I know. In doing so, she was able to get him to stay on the phone for about an hour. Oh my and gosh. by the time they hung up, he was crying. I have chills yeah. again. <laughs> I know. Now, the detectives had taped David when he was with them and playing those, like when he was doing the test with them, he, they had taped him and they put the voices together to ask Marietta if they are the same. And she was like, that is the same person. So the call was traced to Florida, but could not be specifically pinpointed as the system failed. Sometimes. I know she has a high religious belief and believes in all this, you know what I mean? But, like, really? Really? Really, Sky Daddy? We're going to make it fail right now? We need this. That close. (laughs) That close. But even though it failed, a local ranger in Florida contacted the police and informed them that someone had tapped into their phone line when the call to the Jayers had occurred. They asked who my have done this who he would think could do this and he was like oh there's this odd man who had worked for him and he was named david meyerhofer Hmm. and he had been a communication specialist for the marines and had the skills to do this yep oh my god exactly also it aligns with the profiler as well saying that he probably has a military background yep what in the criminal lines Mm mm-hmm so the 70s as i've said are absolutely wild. I'm cronking right now. It's all coming together. <laughs> it's all coming together. Pull the lever. <laughs> Wrong lever. <laughs> As I said, though, 70s, wild. Dunbar then confronted David, telling him that they have connected him and have his voice matched. To which David's like, it's probably a family member. We all have similar voices. Like, not amused whatsoever. They I mean, then set up a time. It's it's a good it's a better excuse than other ones we've heard. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Because <laughs> me and my mom, However, my sister, we all sound the same. But why are you trying to pin it on a family member? <laughs> what a dick. oh, 
just wait. Okay. Oh, but wait. There's more. <laughs> so with his initial, like, I want to help, they're like, fine then, prove it. They have him and some of his family members all call the Jaegers, and then they have to read a small passage to them, specifically Marietta. And Marietta doesn't know which one is David. But she was able to successfully identify that caller number two was him. Unfortunately, this is all circumstantial, though, and David is hiring a super prominent lawyer. Because mm. you have to remember, like, he's not a lowlife in, like, terms of making money. And it's, it's very John Wayne Gacy, Dennis, like, they, he has a life. Like, he's making money. It's not like he's, like, in the slumps like Richard Ramirez. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He can afford this shit. And if it's going to keep him out of prison, he's probably going to do it. Oh, and the worst, too, is he's a veteran. Most people, before they know and, like, see his odd characteristics, they respect him at first. Mm-hmm. You know? But it all comes down to they need a confession or something at the very least that would not be considered circumstantial. So... This is bonkers. They go to Marietta and schedule a time for her to meet him face to face. Hold on. Not only face to face, but to meet in the spot that Susan was abducted. That's bold. 70s, dude. That's very bold. (laughs) Hey, you know, I know that you went through this really treacherous thing of losing your kid in this specific place to this specific man. But like, want to go? Yeah, like, want to go on September 12th, 1974? What? Yeah, sure, I'll be there. But, I mean, I get it, because she was obviously able to get to him, and they realize, like, she's a tool she does in too. this process. Yeah. But, like, come on, have a little heart. This is the strongest woman I know in the world. I don't right? I know her. Like, just wait. Just you wait. Okay. <laughs> so she starts by telling him that she knew he had taken her daughter, and for an hour, David did not crack. He gave nothing away. And at the end of the meeting, they shook hands and they went their separate ways. He initiated the handshake. To keep the pressure on David, though, the police put him under surveillance. A 24-7, no eyes taken off him surveillance. A fact that he found very amusing. And September 24th, he slipped his surveillance and vanished. And the police went fucking wild all hands on deck find this fucker right also that person uh was oh i don't have it in my notes that person i think was like one of the sheriffs or something and the next election he wasn't voted in again oh shit (laughs) yeah which like well oh it's probably for this reason too not the reason i just said but the reason i'm gonna i'm going to say while David is missing, the Jager family, oddly, they receive a phone call. And on the other side of the line is a man named Travis. A man saying his name is Travis. Mm. Marietta. Don't tell me what I know, Travis. <laughs> Marietta knew it was most definitely David, though. Mm-hmm. Like She knows his voice. Like she's not stupid. She's not. He then said... That he was in Salt Lake, which is not Salt Lake City, but, like, Salt Lake uh, Motel. And that she can talk to Susan. 
a child, a little girl, then comes onto the phone and says, hi, mommy. But instantly, Marietta knew it was not Susan, as she did not say mommy, she called her mama. Not mama, mama. M-U-M. I'm, I'm going to cry right now. I know. Marietta continued to go through with the call, but would only refer to the caller as David. The more she kept him talking, the more he gave information that only David would know from physically meeting Marietta at that spot. And eventually he got frustrated. He pretty much figured out that she caught on because he's a fucking idiot. And he just yelled across the phone, you're never going to see Susan again and hung up. Which, that was a year ago. She knew she wasn't going to see her. Yeah. Now, there is potential for another victim. That he has another he has little another girl. Another little girl. Her. Yeah. Exactly. So, the FBI was monitoring this call. Duh. And after a audio phonoscopic examination confirmed David was the caller presenting himself as Travis. Congratulations. You played yourself. You played yourself. <laughs> and having a kid with him, he was promptly arrested the next day once he was found. Good. With David in custody, the call was traced to the Jager's home from Salt Lake Motel. When David was arrested, he had a paper on him that stated that he was there and that he was using the name Travis. Oh, my God. Extra played himself. Yeah, you're you're just a fucking idiot. So the FBI had a feeling that David would be the type of person to keep souvenirs from his crimes. And they opened his freezer while searching his home, and they found a meat package that was labeled SS, as in Sam Sam, SS. Inside, there was a human hand making a fist that was holding, like, clenching onto two other fingers. What the fuck? Yeah. They informed David, while he's in custody, that they had found this. And he was like, well, the gig's up. Here's my confession. Oh. These are my confessions. Sorry. (laughs) A boy at school had pissed David off. And in revenge, on March 19th, 1967, the year he graduated, Mm -hmm. 13-year-old... Bernard Pullman was shot on a bridge in Three Forks by David. This was the kid's brother that pissed him off, not the kid himself. Oh, my God. Which I feel is like a whole other level of twisted and demented that you're taking it out on somebody else that's still close to the person that you want to hurt, knowing that that's going to hurt them. Like, that is so psychologically fucking crazy. That's twisted. Like, it's twisted to already take it out and, like, literally kill someone because this kid pissed you off. But then to take it out on someone that had nothing to do with it. Yeah. The, the guilt. Like, I really hope that this fucking kid does not know about that. I mean, obviously, he's an adult now. But I hope for some reason he doesn't know. I don't know. On May 5th, 1968, a 12-year-old Boy Scout, Michael Rainey, was stabbed and beaten to death in Three Forks. And the case went cold until David confessed that the scouts had rejected his volunteer membership, and in revenge, he went to it, picked a kid at random, and killed him. Oh my god. I wonder why they rejected it. So, so odd. Yeah. 
The third victim was Sandra Smolligan, as in the initials SS in his freezer. Sandra had rejected his advances, and for doing so, he abducted her. Oh my he God. claims that she suffocated by accident from tying her up and gagging her. To which I say, sir, that's not an accident. No. If you're going to do something that could possibly potentially kill someone, then it wasn't an accident. Straight to jail. His last victim was Susan Jager. He had no reason to give for the kidnapping of her, but Marietta would find out a year later after his arrest what happened to her daughter. And this is straight from her page, thejourneyofhope.blogspot.com. And it's quoted saying, He had her locked up in a broom closet, naked, having her sit in her own excrement in an abandoned farmhouse. He would come every night and bring her food and water, but he would also rape her. He then strangled Susan to death and dismembered her. Her bones were burned and scattered in the exact location that Sandra was found. So the reason that the ground area of Sandra's 55-gallon drum was burned is because he was also getting rid of Susan mm-hmm. as well. She was with them for about a week. Just four hours before David's trial, after he confessed, David hung himself with a towel. Oh, wait, no, it wasn't the sheriff from the other one. This is the sheriff that mm. doesn't get reelected because he didn't inform his guards that he should be on suicide watch. He just, like, forgot or something. I don't, I don't know what was happening, but he fucking forgot, and he was able to kill himself. Oh, my gosh. It was his lawyer who brokered a plea deal that involved getting the other two cold cases solved. He would confess to them for him to escape the death penalty. It just, it's, that's such a, what's the word? When, like, two things go against each other. Contradiction. Yeah. It's like, he's murdering people, but, like, you want to skip the death penalty. Yeah. So you don't want to be murdered. Fucking weird. Weird. Weird how that works out. Ironic. Ugh. Interrogators suspected David may have committed more than these four murders, but confessed only to those in the Gallatin County, this area, due to the plea deal with the, with the prosecutors. Mm-hmm. So he probably did more. So there's a tiny bit more. And this is one really sad thing for another crime. And then it gets even sadder. And I expect tears. <laughs> <laughs> Remember how you said how rude it is for him to like blame his brothers or mm-hmm. blame his family for having the same voice? Mm-hmm. Well... David's younger brother, Alan Meyerhofer, was arrested in 1986 for a string of child rapes in Seattle, Washington. He was convicted in 1988 and released in 2017. Oh, my God. Yep. And these are some quotes from Marietta that, like I said earlier, have changed me as a person? Question Mm -hmm. mark. (laughs) <laughs> so Susan Jager's mother, Marietta Jager, wrote a book about Susan's kidnapping and murder called The Lost Child, and it was published in June of 1983. So if you want to read that, you can. But 27 years later, after Marietta, I mean, after Susan was taken, Marietta works with family members of murder victims and lectures at universities, schools, and churches on forgiveness and reconcil- reconciliation. And then Marietta says, my new favorite quote, 
I was just ravaged with hatred and a desire for revenge. I was seething. Looking back, I remember feeling as though I could have killed the man who had taken away my seven-year-old with my bare hands and smiled. Then Maria made a decision. I knew that hatred wasn't healthy, that it would obsess and consume me. Where were I to give in to that kind of mindset, it would be my undoing. It's not to say that it was an easy realization because I felt absolutely justified. I had every right to feel the way I did. Those victims who will not relinquish a vindictive mindset end up giving the offender another victim themselves. Mm -hmm. The fucking last one. I was like, God damn it, Marietta. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That's... So my mom says that stuff all that she's like, if you don't forgive somebody, then you're just, you're like drinking poison yourself. Exactly. Because it's yeah. not going to help. And then if you try to get revenge again, it's, it's like, I feel like I'd love to, yeah, I'd love to like have a conversation with her, not regarding like Susan necessarily, mm-hmm. but her, her view on forgiveness. Cause I, I want to know if it's almost like, would she still feel this way if he was still alive? I think so. Because she was able to she was able to have those conversations with him even like just like knowing that she was that strong do- within the first year. Yeah, 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 exactly. I think she immediately had not immediately, but like within a few months she saw like either I'm going to go down this path of depression and hold, holding this in my heart, or I can choose to forgive and try to you know, solve it, make sure no one else gets hurt. But also and take care of her other kids and yes. be there for them. Exactly. And her husband. And that's one thing. Sorry. The husband, he took a month off and yeah. he got one stop on that trip. And then oh. the rest of the month, no vacation. Also within her blog post, she talks about how angry she was in the beginning because before they left, they all said a prayer together and she specifically asked God to protect their family on this trip. that sucks but she learned something about herself she helps other families now the fbi has a better way of starting a better way of communicating with one another and figuring out other crimes so good came out of this but it really is like a phoenix rising from the fucking ashes like Mm -hmm. it fucking sucks thanks i hated it yeah, I know. <laughs> I haven't had a case that brought me to well up my eyes in a bit. Thanks. Jeez. I know. I think my last one was Georgia Williams with her dad's quote. It's always the parents' quotes. Yeah. That gets you. Ugh. Wow. Well, I'm mad that he copped out. I know. That's not. That's he not. could have been rotting for years for his entire life. Yeah. But at the same time, also, like, just to keep this going, I guess, it also solved two other crimes. Because before, uh, the kid on the bridge was just chalked out to, like, gang activity slash mm. possibly an accident. And then, obviously, Sandra's was always suspect, but they found her body quickly, but they needed it a person. Yeah. So they, yeah. those like said, get closure now, too. Good did come out of it, but still, it's tragic. Yeah. And why would you cut? So, I'm just, why would you cut a tent? I just. Yeah. 
But he's military. He knows. How, that's what I was saying. He's military. He knows how to be quiet. Yeah. He knows how to how to be a ninja. Mm-hmm. Really bad one. Oh God, Jodie Arias. Okay, what's your good good? Um, oh God, I feel put on the spot. <laughs> I didn't think of anything. Um, are you watching anything? Have you watched anything? Yes. So Sean and I are watching Jack Whitehall travels with my father. He's a comedian. And okay. It is fucking hilarious because his dad's like <laughs> old as shit and doesn't want like does not put up with anyone's bullshit and he's always just like fuck off fuck you like fuck this. So he's very red from that seventy show. Yes, but British. Yes, yes, of course. <laughs> so definitely Hello, worth watching. Okay, what's your good good? <laughs> uh oh, I I mean, I get to see you in like a month. So. Yeah. That's oh, that's amazing. right. We have um, our live show. That we're on the main fucking stage. <laughs> Every time I say it, I start sweating. <laughs> on command. Uh, I'll just go along with what you're watching. I binge watched Devil in Ohio mm-hmm. in one day, in one sitting. Absolutely amazing. It's very on par with um, Midnight. Midnight? Midnight. Why can't I think about it? It's the the vampire. Ooh, wait, oh wait. Oh oh. Midnight out. Mass. Midnight Mass. Thank you. Bleep out vamp. <laughs> okay. All right. Bleep those both out. I don't want to give it away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's very on par with that, and it's so fucking good. You'd love it. It's culty. It's literally about a cult. It's about a girl escaping a cult. Nice. And then okay. it becomes true crimey. It's amazing. Love it. Absolutely amazing. So yeah, there we have it. Awesome. Well, thanks. That was a that was a great episode. Um, Thank you. Even though it was terrible. <laughs> I know. It kind of uh, goes hand in hand here. Yeah, that is. <laughs> Welcome to True Crime. <laughs> Well, thank you guys so much for hanging out and listening. Uh, Be sure to catch you at the next episode. Um, Keep up with us on all of our socials at Bloodbath Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, subscribe wherever you can. And send us your good goods. Send us any scary stories you have, any encounters, whatever. Or even your favorite thing you ate this week. We don't care. Keep in touch. (laughs) (laughs) But wait. There's more. Bye, 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 bye,